0: Hey, hey friends, this is Jessie Deshane, a chronic illness support coach and host over here on the Chronically Healing Podcast. When I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, I was scared and immediately started looking for support. After finding so much negativity in the autoimmune world, I decided to start a community that emphasizes positivity and healing. On this show, you will hear me have conversations with people just like you who are on their own unique healing journey with chronic illness. There might be a few tears, but you are guaranteed to have a bunch of laughs and lots and lots of love and support. Let's dive into the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. Today on the show, we have Brianna Gunn, a naturopath who focuses on Lyme and mold disease. I can't wait to dive into this episode. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Brianna.
1: Hi, thank you.
0: Um, so I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so glad that you reached out, and I can't wait to chat a little bit more. So why don't we just jump right into it? I'd love to hear a bit about your background um,
1: with both lime and mold, right? Yeah, Yep. Um, so I started studying in 2005, um, and then I graduated a couple of years after that. Um, We've got a different system in Australia to what you might be familiar with if you're in the United States. Um, so naturopaths here are, are very complementary practitioners. We do herbalism, um, nutritional medicine, homeopathics, um, and we're looking very holistically, but we don't get trained um, to prescribe any pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And we don't do any surgery rotations, which I think is what your naturopaths coming out of places like Bastyr are, are doing. And you guys have a a system where you're kind of bridging the gap a little bit more between conventional medicine and alternative medicine. Whereas we're, yeah, we're we're much more alternative, I think, in Australia, much more holistic in in our viewpoints, which is great. Um, So I just kind of, um, as as I graduated, I went into general naturopathy and I did a lot of uh, fertility for people as I was having my own babies. That was a real Mm. point of interest for me. Um, And just your general stuff, your your gut healing, adrenal support, thyroid stuff. Um, And then over the years, I just found that my client population was getting sicker and sicker and it was going from kind of adrenal fatigue to chronic fatigues Mm. that just weren't shifting and people weren't responding in the way that I would want them to. Um, And so I just started looking more and more into what can be underlying these very difficult conditions why aren't people responding in the way that they should be with their symptom picture um and then my own help kind of took a, a real turn um probably 2016 i was really looking um my vision was going mm. um, i was thinking why is my vision going that's like, terrifying like, you know, yeah you go to the optometrist and they're like nope 2020 everything's fine yeah. don't need any glasses um <laughs> but at night, I just, are uh, so um, reactive to light. Mm. So I didn't, I wanted to have the whole house dark. I couldn't have any screen resolution on, on any devices. Um, all the settings on like the TV was right down, just lamps on all the time. My husband was like, honey, it. I can't actually see. It's too <laughs> dark in our house. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was just thinking, what is wrong with me? Why can't I, why can't I deal with light anymore? Yeah. And, I just started kind of looking around at what kind of things can cause that. And the big one for me was mold. Mm. Um, and we, I think most houses have some level of mold in them, whether that's from a water damage event, like leaking gutters or, or failure in the, in the, in the moisture proofing behind showers or something. Um, and for us, it wasn't anything like that. It was just the bathroom wasn't vented very well. Mm. Um, Australian building practices, that's very common. The, the bathroom vent, the fan, just goes into the roof space. It mm. doesn't vent to the outside of the building to okay. suck the moisture out. And so there was a little bit of mould that had been painted over from previous owners. Um, and then the other one was in our bedroom. Mm. I, I had a look like we had a fairly new mattress, but I had a look under the seam along the edge of the mattress and there was just a little line of black mould. Interesting. Um, And so, yeah, straight away, we got rid of the mattress um, and instantly my vision started improving. um, My mood started improving. I went from just being kind of normal mooded to feeling moments of real joy and excitement again, like kind of the way a child does before Christmas, you know, that real buzz. And I thought, oh my goodness, as an adult, we're not moving into that joy space very often. Yeah, I thought I was yeah. just kind of busy in life and two young children and, and a business and things. But for me, that was the mold. That, that's a real indication yeah. that I'm affected by mold. Is my mood just gets um, uh, not flatter, but I just kind of go out of the e- extreme sides of the fun stuff. On, on mood. Mm. I just live more in the in the medium. Yeah, um, and so that was kind of my experience with mold. Um, and so then I did a, a ton of research, and obviously. Jumaka is the pioneer in this field. And so I looked through all of his research studies. I, <laughs> I, I did some training with, with Dr. Sandeep Gupta here in Australia, who is an amazing mold practitioner. Um, and then not long after that, I and, and my son as well, in the same time, we were getting, my eldest son, we were getting um, these debilitating fevers. And really? the first month I thought, that's weird, we've got a flu at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that happens. Um, and then three weeks later, massive migraine, drenching body sweats, full, full pain in the body. Can't move. Um, he, he was less affected than me. He'd probably go down for three or four days a month and I would go down from five to 11. Wow. Um, literally seven days in a a completely black room, no sound, no movement, no eating, um, drenching, drenching body sweats and the full pain. And that's when I started thinking, hang on, this is more than mold now. There's some else going on here Um, and I've got great practitioner networks in in my location so I was able to reach out to some real um really great minds in in our fields and I thought okay there's something I'm missing here what's what's this this is an Epstein-Barr this isn't cytomegalovirus There's something worse here Um, and so very quickly I was able to do some testing and I came up positive for Borrelia Mm. so I kind of count that as, as as one of the lucky stories you know getting a definitive answer really quickly and really easily um, was quite important for me. And so that was another pivotal moment then. I'm sick every month. My son is sick with me. Um, and I've got this, this Lyme disease diagnosis. Yeah. And so that's when my journey really started looking and niching down into what can we do to repair our bodies from these chronic biotoxin illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's the same all around the world, but there is so little support when you've got a mold illness, a Lyme or a tick-borne disease there are very few experts that you can call upon. And mm-hmm. it's it's a terrifying place to be in. Um, you find yourself sick and so then you, you, you can't function because you're sick. Yeah. Um, but then you can't find anybody to help you either. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I really spent a very long time and I continue to spend a lot of time every week looking at research, looking at solutions to rebuild your health from Lyme disease mm-hmm. um, and from, from chronic mold. And I do find my population of clients people who just have water damage in their houses and just have mold disease. So those genes that that kind of predispose you to that, it's 24% of Australians and, and the, the figure's about the same in the mm. US. Okay. Um, have these HLA genes, which are human leukocyte antigen genes, and they, they mean you don't recognize mold as as a pathogen. Okay. So in a healthy gene, you, your body goes, hey, that guy's a problem. It's like a virus or a bacteria. It's a fungi. Let's, let's recognize that it it's a problem, build some cellular memories towards we'll that, some new memories and let's get it out of our bodies. If we mm-hmm. meet it again, we react quickly. Whereas when you've got these HLA genes, your body doesn't make that leukocyte memory. Okay. So in the next time you eat mold, you don't go, Hey, that's a pathogen. Get it out of your body. You just go, Oh yeah. <laughs> and <it's, laughs> It stays and it grows. Yeah. And so it can then start growing in your body in your sinuses, in your gut, in your lungs are the major places that it does grow. Um, and then you get sick. Your immune system disabled by this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it causes chronic inflammation throughout the body. Once you've got a disabled immune system and chronic inflammation, everything goes out. Your yeah. gut goes out. Hormones go out. You get a whole cascade of inflammatory kind of reactions in the body. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a bit of a problem <laughs> and it's yeah. very, very common. So I find that with my mold people, they don't always have Lyme disease. mm mm-hmm. But with my tick-borne population, mold is always a trigger as well. Interesting. So once you've kind of got a biotoxin illness and you've got that dysregulated immune system, you've got the inflammatory pathways really primed and hyperactive, then any biotoxin is going to trigger you. Mm -hmm. And the most common one for people to be exposed to is mold. Yes. Um, In your air conditioning units, it's in cars, it's in buildings, it's in a lot of public spaces. In Australia, 80% of public schools have mold and water damage oh my gosh so our kids are really exposed to it all the time yeah
0: I that's something like mold um and mold borne diseases like all that is just not something that I know a lot about I've heard a little bit about Lyme being just in the chronic illness space but like Mm. like mold just um I like when you were talking about finding it in your mattress not even a place I would think to
1: look for mold like it's crazy no that's right and it wasn't in the mattress. Like I changed the sheets every week. I didn't yeah. see it. It's, yeah. It was under the seam, like hidden oh, yeah. from view. And it wasn't yeah. until I was really looking that I thought, hang on. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. And mattresses are a big cause. Mattresses, curtains, carpets are big places for water damage um, because the mold spores can go and live in that cellulose in there. Mm. It's, it's dark. It's damp. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a great yeah. place for mold to grow, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. We're like... If someone thought that mold was something that was affecting them, how would they even begin to like? Should they immediately go and get tested? Should they be like looking for mold? How would they know? um, Like, if there, I just have so many questions around mold. (laughs) I'm just yeah, absolutely on it.
1: Absolutely. So, um, a history of being exposed to water damage building or to to visible mold is is a key factor. So, most people have. And so when I'm talking to my clients, they're saying things like, oh yeah, in 2005, we lived in this really uh, a moldy house. There was a big storm and the landlord never fixed that. Mm. Or, um, you know, my mum's basement always smells really musty. And I spent a lot of time down there in my teenage years. Um, so there is, there is always that exposure. Um, so the, the key things to think about with mold is can you see it or can you smell it? Is there a damp, musty, um, unventilated kind of odor? Is it worse after raining? And so then once you've got an experience or a history of mold, um, then you start overlaying what are your symptoms. And Dr. Schumacher has made a symptom cluster checklist. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really easy document. There's one on my website at BriannaGarn.com. You could just Google Schumacher symptom cluster and they'll pop up. Um, And it's a, a cluster of symptoms that have been identified as very common in people who have a waterborne illness like a mold illness um and so then the, you kind of go through these the symptoms and if you've got uh, more than eight in in the groups, so it doesn't have to be every single symptom mm-hmm. in, in a section it can just be one in that section and that counts as a positive so if you've got more than six think about yeah this is a real likelihood that i'm looking at some some mold illness here and if you've got more than eight you really need to be doing some further investigation okay so that's kind of the way that i start so is there mold what are your numbers on the symptom Um, cluster. Okay. After you've kind of identified that, yeah, it looks like I've got symptoms that add up in these kind of pictures, then we can start doing some testing on the house or Mm -hmm. the car or or the workplace, whatever it might be where you think the mold might be. Um, And in Australia, that's pretty easy to do. And you guys have different options in the States there as well. So your way here that I would recommend is to use a company called Mold Lab Mm -hmm. and they We'll send out a little home Swiffer. It's, it's kind of just a little pad and you run it all through the dust in your house. So you want old dust, like underneath beds, underneath washing machines, top of door frames, top of fans. You want the old stuff. That's where the mold spores kind of attracted and they can move around the house in that dust there. Um, and then you send it back to the lab and they culture that. And mm-hmm. they see what, and they send you reports saying what species, what kind of numbers they were getting in the samples. Um, and then they give you something called an ermy or a Hurts Me two score as well. And they're really useful indicators of um, moulds that are toxic because there are moulds in our environment that are not necessarily going to cause health troubles. And then there are moulds that are a big fat no-no. And the ERMI score is looking primarily at at those major pathogenic moulds. Okay. It's got a number. And if you get a number um, under two for the ERMI Mm. or under 11 for the Hurts Me two, then you're probably going to be okay to recover in that house or in that vehicle or in that workplace, if you're getting numbers outside of that, that's when we start going, okay, we need to look at remediating the house. Okay. We've got to fix the source of the contamination for you before we can start getting your body better. Okay. Because when your bucket is full, yeah. the kind of toxic load bucket is full, and then you're breathing in mold every day, you can't get that out of yourself quick enough. You can't detoxify that quick enough. You need to stop being exposed to it before we can start looking at the healing.
0: Yeah. So, like, is that something that, say you were, um, you came in contact with mold in a house that you lived in, like, a couple of years ago, and then you moved, could it Uh still be affecting you, even though you're no longer there? Yeah. Very much so. Okay. Um,
1: Certainly, if you have those HLA genes, so Mm -hmm. if you're one of the people who has um, what we call a dreaded or multi-susceptible HLA genes, that Mm -hmm. means it's very difficult for you to recover from a mold exposure, and you will need to have some intervention process, like okay. protocol to, 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 to recover your health. Yeah. Um, a lot of my people do, they really are finding that five years ago, the exposure and now the house is fine, mm-hmm. but their bodies are coping with that toxic load. Interesting. Interesting.
0: So what are the things that you did for yourself when you were going through these things that were, um, was it just really remediating it and getting rid of the mold or were there other things that you had to do for your health to kind of feel better? I know you were also dealing with Lyme. So um so what were some yeah. of the things that you that you did to kind of revamp your health back to normal again?
1: Yeah, sure. So certainly that remediation, getting away from the source of the contamination is is really, really important. And for some people that can be um, what is called a mold sabbatical and they, they, go and they live in a tent in a dry climate somewhere. So there's no mold and they spend six weeks out there and they, their body heals to a certain point where, when they go back into mold, they become the canary in the coal mine. They can really tell very quickly, ah, house is making you sick, mm-hmm. car's making you sick, workplace, whatever it might be. You kind of reduce your toxic load to a point where you can have a reaction and that's healthy. Um, so after you've gotten away from the source of mold, whether that's remediating in-house, moving, selling the moldy stuff, whatever it might be, um, then the next options really are to get your detoxification pathways working in your body.
0: Mm.
1: So that can be anything. That can be lymphatic skin brushing. That can be supplements to do that. Um, coffee enemas are really useful because they dump the bile very quickly and mold has an affinity to bile in the body. Mm-hmm. So you get the mold into the bile and then you Poop it out really quickly with a coffee enema. That's a great way. Um, infrared saunas, very, very useful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I'm recommending at least twice a week infrared saunas for people, coffee enemas a couple of times a week. And then we're looking at binders, things to grab mold within your body. Okay. So that's often chlorella or your clays, bentonite clay, um, zeolites, things that have a really strong affinity to holding mold so that you can poop it out. hmm rather than just having it recirculating in your body. Yeah.
0: Is there like, um, are you able to do a blood test that shows that there's mold? Or is that not really a thing you can do? (laughs) Um,
1: There are tests available that will give you, that will confirm the picture that's forming already. The suspicion that you've got that this is a mold thing. Um, So yes, there are. They're non-specific. There's not a specific test you can do that says, yeah, this is 100%. CIRS, which is chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which is toxic mold disease. Okay. Um, so yes and no, there are markers definitely that are very useful um, mm. that we can look at and measure to see whether you're recovering, um, but also to see whether it's, it's possible that it's mold. Um, one of the kind of the misinformations, if you go to your, your, your local doctor and they're not Schumacher trained or they're not really mold literate, is they're going to, they're going to send you off for um, a mold allergy test. Mm. And they're going to say, are you allergic to mold? You know, do you get runny eyes and and runny noses and sneezing? Do you get hives in the presence of mold? And what Dr. Schumacher has found is that generally people who have faulty HLA genes, they are separate parts of the immune system. So you won't also have a mold allergy. And usually they don't exist at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: if you know that you have a mold allergy and you know that your skin gets itchy and you sneeze when you see mold, then that's going to be a different symptom. That's an allergic part of your immune system. That's not this chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Okay.
0: Um,
1: and so that's one of the problems I think people have when they go to a GP um, is the GP runs that allergy test because that's all they're trained about to know about. And then it comes back and they say, no, nope, no mold allergy. And then you put mold off the table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there is and there isn't some blood tests. Um, And a Schumacher literate um, doctor will know about those. It's much easier to get them in the United States um, and in Europe than it is in Australia. Um, A lot of the tests, we just don't have them at our labs here. So we're sending them over to Quest and places like that in the States. Mm. Got it. And then, yeah, there's a lot of cost involved with that for a non-specific diagnosis as well. It's not a definitive answer.
0: Yeah. So then it's kind of like it's hard to make that feel it, I guess like um, when you understand that the symptoms are there anyways. So, so yeah. Is there anything that people can do to kind of combat mold or not get anything or like, I guess that there, there isn't unless you're going into like purchasing a home or moving into a home and you can kind of pay attention to what things look like, but is there any kind of like, prep work that you can do so this isn't something that you get
1: exposed to? Yeah. Um, making sure that you're opening your windows, even in winter. Get airflow into a building.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um Cut back any trees if it's possible so that you don't have trees and darkness really overlapping your house so that there's airflow and sunshine coming into your building. Mm -hmm. Um, Not having very long, hot, steamy showers. And if you do, make sure you get that fan venting all that air out. Run it for 20 minutes at least after you've left the shower. Mm -hmm. Um, The same in the kitchen. If you're doing a lot of steamy, boily things, you know, have the window open, have the exhaust fan on, get the steam out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then air purifiers as well. If there's not actual mold in the house, cause if there's mold, you need to cut it out, throw it out, remediate it. You cannot just wipe it over with bleach to pretend that it's gone because it's not, which mm. just changed color. It's yeah. still in there <laughs> making you sick. It's just white now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you feel a bit better about it. Um, yeah. so yes, there are things you can do to kill mold. So vinegar, tea tree and clove essential oils are really useful. If you've got shower grout mold, okay. um, otherwise there's a a product called concrobium um there are lots of other things that can be fogged by professional remediation companies of varying kind of degrees of effectiveness it's really weighing up what's available in your local area uh how sensitive you are to chemicals and toxins what your best choice is going to be and i do recommend talking to a building biologist about that find out what your options are to repair your house okay Interesting. Um, but if there's not obvious mold just an air purifier is great there are a lot of really good air purifiers, some of them quite cheap. Um, what you're looking for is something with a HEPA filter and a carbon filter. Mm. So that way you can really trap the mold, the yeah. and particles in the air. Okay.
0: So I don't want to forget about the lime side of things either. That's also like a huge, a huge issue within the the chronic illness space. And I know people deal with it. I, um, I had someone else on the podcast a few months ago that talked about Lyme and how um, it can negatively affect people to the point where um, it can cause like higher suicide rates that she noticed just because it's um, such, such an, an invisible illness to some people where um, no one listens to their pain or anything like that. So um, I'm just interested to hear like, how you, you said that you dealt with mold, how you see your patients kind of dealing with mold. How do you, mold, I'm sorry, with Lyme. How do you, um, I'm like stuck on the mold thing. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Um, With um, just understanding Lyme and like what people can do again to prevent it. If they feel like signs are pointing toward Lyme, like what can they do? Where can they go first? Um, That kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Um. Lyme is a very complex issue. Um, uh, yes, it's a very complex and intelligent organism. The bacteria itself is difficult. Um, I think the double layer with a with Lyme diagnosis is that it's very political. Um, governments around the world insist that chronic Lyme does not exist. And so you cannot have a disease that does not exist. Yeah. And <laughs> so you're likely to go to a GP and they're going to say, nope, yep. I went to school about this and the school said it doesn't exist. Yep, exactly. Um, And so it's very, very difficult then to get the support you need, um, to get adequate testing. Um, it's a a very isolating experience. Mm. Most of my people with Lyme, I would say the average is 12 years that they have gone before a diagnosis. Oh my gosh. And so in that time they have usually been disabled by, by their tick-borne illnesses. They are, you know, they've run through their finances, they've run through their relationships. They're usually very isolated. Yeah. Um, yeah and really struggling to put the pieces back together on a low, low budget. Yeah. Um, and that compounds the issue as well. So with, with Lyme, if there's any possibility that there's a mold illness as well, you need to treat the mold illness first. Okay. So you've got to get your detox stuff happening. You've got to get away from the source of contamination. You've got to get your binders in place. Once your body is starting to heal and you've come away from, um, from the inflammation side of things, even just a little bit, um, then we can start looking as well as at, at the tick-borne illnesses. What's going on there? Which co-infections do you have? Um, what are your major symptoms? How does this affect you? And we track that in a journal a lot. Um, is, it a, is it occurring on a monthly cycle, which was mine? So I had a, a tick-borne relapsing fever kind. Okay, yeah. Um, and that's why I was getting sick every month and being crashing for up to 11 days and then being okay. Ish the next week, still really fragile. Two great weeks, and then crash again. So yeah. mine's a tick-borne, relaxing fever. Um, whereas a traditional Lyme disease, like Borrelia burgdorferi, we've got more of the joint involvement usually. Sometimes yeah. the carditis, and those symptoms are going to depend on where the tick bit you, Interesting. or the biting fly, or the spider, or the louse, or whatever it might be that got you. Yeah. Um, so you know, a tick bite up in the neck, say, you're more likely to get the neurological symptoms. Yeah or is it tick bite on the ankle you are more likely to get the joint symptoms?
0: Interesting. I didn't know that.
1: Mm -hmm. Like the
0: different, different locations kind of
1: where they're putting their poison straight away, where the bacteria is affecting you. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing with tick-borne infections, because they hijack your cytokine system, which is kind of there's inflammatory and anti-inflammatory cytokines, but in the presence of damage in your body, your body's going to release these inflammatory cytokines so that you can put inflammation, you can put heat, redness, swelling, um, to the to the wound side or to the to the joint damage and then your body can send its healing resources there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Bartonella and Borrelia both like hop onto these inflammatory cytokines okay and so then they've got like a little taxi straight to the yeah. point of weakness in your body oh no and then they end up in that point <laughs> that's already weak yeah so that's exacerbate your existing symptoms okay
0: I guess there's there's not really obviously if people are living with this for 12 years without being diagnosed there's not like a a very typical sign I mean I feel like years ago like forever ago before I even knew about this whole chronic illness space the only time I heard about Lyme was if you got the big red mark around the tick bite but if you never saw a red bite or a red mark then you know, you never had anything to work, worry about. I lived in a very, very small town in uh, Wisconsin and the United States just ticks everywhere. I have had so many tick bites in my entire life, but I never worried about it because there was never that red ring or whatever yes. around it or red redness around any of them. So yeah. is there anything that people can pay attention to if they're starting to feel like any types of symptoms that might pop up that, that usually point toward Lyme that they might want to go and see someone that's specialized in it? Or is that kind of the difficult part?
1: Uh, no, it's not. I, I think once you've had a Lyme for a long time, we're talking about chronic Lyme now, um, you will have so many different symptoms that you'll be been to lots of different specialists. And for me, that's a, a flag. If you've got no real diagnosis and you've had symptoms for a very, very long time and they affect all different parts of your body, um, that's when you start thinking outside the box and you start going online and you do the Horowitz uh, Lyme questionnaire. If you're getting high scores in that online quiz, then again, start finding a Lyme literate practitioner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people who I'm seeing in that kind of chronic Lyme field, they've often got diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, ME, mm-hmm. all of those other than rheumatoid arthritis perhaps, but those other ones, they're labels. Okay. That's not a, a diagnosis that comes with a solution. There's no wellness plan there. There's no take this medication. You'll be better. It's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, we've got an idea that it might be something we can't fix. And so if you've got an illness that doesn't come with a set um, protocol for for returning your health again, that's when you start looking, in my opinion, at things like tick-borne diseases and mold and you start digging a bit deeper. Can we get a solution out of this fibromyalgia diagnosis? So kind of doubling back to the acute phase. So only 32, approximately, percent of people will know that they've been bitten by tick and will get the bullseye rash. Wow. Yeah. So if you know you've had a bullseye rash, that is 100% diagnostic indicative of having Lyme. And the Lyme that you've got there is Borrelia burgdorferite. That's the guy that gives you the big bullseye. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is absolutely the time where you get straight down to somebody knowledgeable and you get yourself the doxycycline and some other kind of combinations of antibiotics to make sure you don't put your Lyme into cyst form. If you had any insect bite and then you're getting symptoms of joint pain flu fever aches tiredness straight away that's when you're wanting to do eat, like some good line testing mm-hmm. um or getting some preventative herbs some preventative antibiotics something like that so there really are so many vectors that can transmit tick borne diseases yeah i didn't um, know that really yeah, anything really that drinks somebody else's blood before drinking yours yeah. um, can transmit, or any multi-bite kind of insect. Interesting. Um, yeah. So if you the tick,
0: <laughs> not of anything else. Yeah.
1: No, no, and there's um, the Department of Agriculture in Australia has a position statement saying that you can get Borrelia in Australia from mice bites. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And that's that's a problem for farmers, grain farmers who have mice kind of hanging around their grain supplies. That's that's they're at risk there. Because a tick bites the mouse, the mouse now has Lyme disease, mm. and then the mouse bites you. Yeah. So doubling back a little bit to the bullseye, the bullseye is a difficult thing. You'll only get a bullseye if you were bitten by an animal that had active spirochetes. Okay. So Borrelia exists in, and it's a little bit controversial, so three different kind of body types. Mm-hmm. Um some people say there's only two, which is where the controversy is. So it, it definitely exists in the spirochete, which is the corkscrew guy, like a syphilis. It's, it's a bacteria that, that drills into different parts of your body. Okay. When it's in that spirochete shape, that's when it'll give you the bullseye. Mm, okay. If the creature has already had it for a while or they, trend, they they were infected themselves by something that wasn't in spirochete, it was in either cell wall deficient or cyst form, you're not going to get a bullseye. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So that can be some of the reason that people don't know that they've yeah. been bitten and don't get that bullseye rash. Yeah.
0: Um, yes,
1: yeah, so That's only yeah.
0: a small part of it is that rash, like
1: 32% you said, right? Yeah. That's about the average number. Some, some studies I see say a little bit higher, some say a little bit less. Mm-hmm. And I would say in my population of clients, it would be less than 32%. Wow. Uh, and I think some of the reason for that is that in Australia at the moment, we don't officially have Borrelia d'Orphari. Okay. We have a number of different Borrelia species, um, none of which the government says exist, despite great research coming out from really leading university yeah. researchers. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, because we have Lyme disease or, or Borrelia species that are much more like the European strains, mm-hmm. we're not getting that classic bullseye rash from our, our, our Borrelias because we don't have Borrelia burgdorferi mm-hmm. currently identified in Australia. We've got ones that re- remind us a lot more of Borrelia alzeli and garini and the European species. Okay. So for us in Australia, then, because we've got more of a European style, I get better positive results out of using European labs than I do out of the US labs.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Is there like anything that you did or are there like typical... kind of remedies that you do? I know we had talked about with mold kind of doing like the infrared sauna. I have one sitting right behind me actually. Yeah. <laughs> I was happy to see talk. that when you, you got um, that. <laughs> yeah. And like, um, like coffee enemas, things like that. Are there any things like that
1: that usually kind of go along with Lyme as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of these illnesses result in your body not working properly. So you yeah. need to do everything you can to get your body detoxifying properly, get your inflammation down and get your immune system back on board. Yeah. Cause the other things are just tools to help you get your immune system back on board. Yeah. Um, or to help the infection load come down. So hopefully you can heal behind the scenes, which is what you're doing with antibiotics. Um, so yeah, straight away you get your, your detox systems working as well as possible. We want to get the waste product formed by these creatures living inside your body out of your body. Mm-hmm. And then as we start killing them, we want to get their corpses out of your body. Yeah. Yeah. Because the toxins re- re- released from, you know, the breakdown of, of the organism itself. That makes you sick. Yeah. Um, and that's where people start to herx from, um, antibiotics or from antimicrobial herbs mm-hmm. as being, getting sicker from the corpse. Of yeah. The, the organism. Yeah. Um, so, yes, start with your, your saunas, your coffee enemas, your lymphatic skin brushing. Start with your um, – some of the binders are really useful as well. And I do like things like an activated zeolite, a type product, something that's really good at getting ammonia out, histamine out, the inflammatory compounds that your body often makes as a result of being under a lot of stress and having immune dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting out the toxic mold stuff by binding that up and binding up any kind of – uh, any metals that you've got, any fillings in the mouth, there's anything at all that your body can't be dealing with bind it up, poop it out. Uh, once you're kind of doing that effectively and you're having a your bowel motion at least once a day, mm-hmm. ideally more and well-formed bowel motions of good size and texture. Um, then we can start looking at immune modulation and anti-inflammatory processes. Mm-hmm. So generally at the beginning, when I start working with a Lyme client, we really identify their top symptoms. Okay. And before I start targeting the bacteria themselves that are responsible for their disease. Mm -hmm. I look at how do we prevent further damage happening to the body? So for example, if you've got joint pains with your tick-borne illnesses, then we're looking at, sure, that's delicious. Collagen's yummy. That's why the lime are there. They're eating up your collagen. They're damaging you. Um, So I I start supporting the way that your body gets collagen, uses collagen. Um, So collagen, vitamin C, hyaluronic acid, the gelatin, those things are great. Bone broths, all of that stuff, anything you can do to support your joints is what we're going to start doing Mm -hmm. because yes, it might feed the beast, but they were going to eat anyway. Yeah. And I don't want them eating your knee anymore. Yeah. (laughs) I would would rather we just fed them something in a supplement for a little while to protect further damage from occurring to your body. Um, And likewise, if there's, if there's heart symptoms, erratic heartbeat, um, carditis, then we'll look at some herbs and supplements to support the heart function, yeah. the neuro symptoms, whatever it is, we look at finding herbs to support and prevent further damage.
0: Okay.
1: Once we kind of got that and people start feeling just a little bit better, even 10 or 20% better, and they're eliminating every day. They've got the nutrient levels up a bit. We do some gut healing work so that they can the immune system come back on board, 80% of your permanent immune system is located in your your small intestines. Mm
0: -hmm. So you need
1: to make sure your gut health is is coming back into good balance and good health. And then there's herbs um, that specifically start targeting the organism that you have, whether that's antibacterial, antispirochetal, antifungal, antiparasite, whatever it might be, as well as a lot of immune modulation. You're never going to get better until your immune system can start working and fighting for you yes yeah so dr rao at paracelsus clinic in switzerland he is kind of an expert in in lots and lots of chronic illnesses really and they they run an amazing retreat and spa there um, to really help people recover their health from all kinds of chronic things Um, and he says look if i was to go out and get blood tests from the swiss forestry workers in in our region most of them would have borrelia spirochetes found in their body but they're not sick. They don't have chronic fatigue. They don't have debilitating joint pains. They're not yeah. stuck in bed. And so their immune systems are working for them. Mm-hmm. We can coexist with these organisms provided they're in a small enough number and your body is, is processing them properly. Yeah. So a lot of the treatments work on getting your body back on board, getting your immune system up, getting your inflammation down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like these I don't want to say like
1: baseline health,
0: but, but really like gut health is crazy. I mean, I thankfully do not deal with Lyme or mold currently. And, um, but with me, I have Hashimoto's, um, and I have a lot of gut issues. I have SIBO, I kind of dealing with getting rid of SIBO. So like, but, um, for me, we kind of came to terms with the fact that we thought that my birth control was affecting my gut health. Um, and as soon as I took my birth control out, all of a sudden my body started working better because mm-hmm. it wasn't constantly mm-hmm. fighting this um, constant. I had an IUD like this constant hormone that was going through my body, and whatever was happening, I have no idea. But my my naturopath was like, "I need you to get off of this," we, because yes. we had been doing everything. I had been doing stuff for my SIBO. I had taken antibiotics. I had been doing all these diets, and Um, my Hashimoto's levels were normal and everything was pretty good. Um, We were knocking those down, but something just wasn't working. I could never get over that hump. And it was, it was that like, for me, it seems that my IUD was really affecting my gut health. And it was crazy within weeks um, of taking it out, how much better some of my gut health got. I mean, I also like you're saying was doing things like an infrared sauna um i haven't done a coffee enema yet but i have this mm-hmm. for one it's just kind of do it. fine
1: <laughs> but, yeah i know it's such a it's it's an emotional it's an a mental hurdle you think, i can't yeah. do that i'm not putting coffee there yeah i'm not doing any of that um, yeah. but as soon as you do the first one you feel so much better yeah. um i really i i really would urge you to yeah make the time and do that
0: Yes, I will. I haven't. I just <laughs> haven't. Done one <laughs> I've gotten over the first hump, but but yeah, it's just these like um, getting back to this baseline health, which is so hard for people that are living with chronic illnesses, chronic pain, chronic anything. Um, mm-hmm. And it's crazy how much just um, eating better, like taking care of your gut health, working with supplements, working with a doctor to kind of to kind of go after that. What are some do you have any like basic starting points if someone wanted to like work on their gut health, what would be a good way for them to kind of start? Um, I guess that's kind of like a, again, like a very broad question because I know that there's so many different parts of gut health, but what are, if someone was like, you know what, I don't ever want to have to deal with any of this stuff that Jesse is talking about on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some ways that I could like really take care of myself not even just my gut, but just in general.
1: Okay. So if, we, if we're looking at just preventative medicine and you don't have any real problems right now, you have a little bit of gas after legumes, but if you don't have painful bloating, your bowels open a couple of times a day and they're well formed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there's not really any symptoms of reflux, you feel like there's not a, a really quick transit time, all your food's digested in the toilet. Um, it's turned itself into poop. It's not coming out as corn and things. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I, I think, um, that that's the optimal, like if there's no yeah. real symptom, there's nothing really to fix. And then you're looking at at maintaining that level. So stuff that kills your gut flora, mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. antibiotics, <laughs> antibacterial herbs can do it. Um, and so you kind of stay away from the stuff that's going to kill your gut flora. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of research emerging as well. that Wi-Fi is a problem, and then when we move into five G, five G is potentially a big fat problem for the bacterial colonies in our gut. So I mean, that stuff's kind of out of your control to some degree. Yeah. Um, but you know, don't sleep with the router on, and don't sleep with your phone under your pillow and stuff. Be manage what you can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then we're looking at eating a really broad variety of different plant. Um, starches and fibres throughout the week. So at least 40 different kinds of plant food.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that can be some of the grains if you want them, some of the seeds and nuts that can be legumes, anything that's growing on a plant. You want at least 40 different kinds in a week. Okay. So well. you, you count them separately. Mm-hmm. Like if you have like, like cause lettuce and oak lettuce and Mizuna, they're all three different things. If you've got, you know, pink lady apples and royal gala apples, they're two different things because they are, they are different. There's different phytochemicals in them. There's different compounds. And the reason we want a big diversity of the food is that those foods feed your gut bacteria. Mm. And so if you're eating a small amount of food, you're feeding a small amount of bacteria. Yeah. And so then you're getting really high colonies of those guys and lower colonies of the other things that are more diverse. Mm-hmm. And we know that in Western populations, our gut diversity is decreasing significantly. Yes. Um, and, and gut research is, is huge at the moment. We're doing so much microbiome testing. We're looking at gut microbiome, vaginal microbiome, breast milk, ears, everywhere. <laughs> um, and so we're kind of on the forefront in lots of ways
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, of you know, information is just bursting out of research labs at the moment. And we're getting so much more understanding. Our testing methods in gut health are improving, they're becoming cheaper, there's a quicker turnaround. Um, so previously, when I first started, you know, you'd, you'd take a stool sample and you'd send it off to a lab and they'd, they'd culture it and see what we could grow in, in a lab. And there was only about 12 species that can grow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very difficult from A, the time you poop it out and then you yeah. post it and then it arrives at the lab and then it, you know, grows. That's yeah. not an accurate <laughs> reflection of what was in the gut that's only what's growing in the lab. Whereas now that we have PCR testing and we're looking at DNA fragments of your gut health um, and we're able to quantify into kind of amounts of different ones. Now we've got great information. Mm. And so there are a lot of labs, um, biome and new biome, and there's one in Australia, microba, are doing these kind of testing pretty reasonably. uh, Um, for some of the U S ones are about four month turnaround. So that's a bit of a hassle. Um, but, you know, they're a reasonable amount of money. It's, it's achievable for a lot of people. Um, and then once you understand who is in your gut, mm-hmm. you can start understanding who you need to feed and who you need to start selectively starving to improve your symptoms and the overall picture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you want a lot of butyrate producers, your bacteroides and your u Because um, butyrate is a really anti-inflammatory compound. So it's anti-inflammatory for the gut mm-hmm. to heal leaky gut. And it's anti-inflammatory for the brain, helps to heal the blood-brain barrier. It's a systemic anti-inflammatory compound. So we want a lot of that stuff. And we don't want a lot of the methane producers and the hydrogen sulfide producers. They're the guys that cause pain and and leaky gut symptoms. Mm -hmm. So once you understand from a lab report what your um, bacterial species are, that's when you can start supplementing or eating according to what you need to to do. And I think that's probably the best way to protect your gut health is to eat a big diversity of food. Um and make sure you don't have adverse symptoms. If you do, that's a sign of problem. Research it further, go to a specialist.
0: Yeah. Yeah, go after all that stuff. Um Mm. let me think. I'm trying to think if there is there like I love hearing what people's opinions are on like different things outside of just like taking care of your gut, what are other things that you can do to keep yourself healthy, like mentally to, I mean, if you have a chronic illness, especially, I feel like sometimes um, taking care of your mental health is just as if not more important than some of the supplements you take. So, so yeah, that's what are some of the things that you, might, that you might recommend or that you've done that have really helped you?
1: Um, I mean, that's, that, 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 that's an enormous question.
0: Uh, yeah i've been asking a lot of them (laughs)
1: yeah um things in general i think people need to sleep Mm -hmm. Um, across the board we're not getting enough sleep in western cultures um you don't need to have sleep for eight hours solid but you need to be in bed resting you need to have darkness for your eyes um so sleep is an important thing. Prioritize sleep, prioritize rest, prioritize saying no. We, we value busyness and we value overscheduling and we think that's a sign of our success. And I, I completely disagree. Yeah. Um, I think that we need to really prioritize rest and recuperation a lot more than we, we do. Um, protecting your eyes from screens is really important. So at the moment, I like, I'm wearing some blue light blocking glasses at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and they you can get them online. They're really cheap. They ship them out to your house. Um, to just stop that, the blue light from screens. Because mm. if you have too much blue light, your hormones go out. Okay. You mess with your ability to make melatonin. Melatonin directly feeds into serotonin, which is your happy hormone. If you don't make serotonin, you're not happy in the day. If there's not enough of that, you don't have enough to make melatonin again in the nighttime. And
0: mm-hmm. so then you don't
1: sleep well and the cycle yeah. continues. <laughs> so you need to be exposed to either darkness. Yeah. Um, which is like turn all the lights out, have lamps on at night. Um, be outside as much as you can at night as well. You know, have the windows open, look at the darkness, Mm -hmm. um, get some blue light blocking glasses, manage your screen addiction. Yeah. I would say a hundred percent of adults in this world now have a screen addiction, Mm -hmm. um, to manage the, your exposure to the blue lights on your screens, um, eating a wide variety of plant-based foods and foods that are locally grown in your environment, Mm -hmm. Sure, you can have meat if that feels good for your body. You can have fish if that feels good for your body. Um, listen to your body about what food you're putting into it and really stay away from highly processed, chemical-filled, genetically modified. That stuff has no place in a healthy body. Yeah. yeah. And then surround yourself with great supportive people, people who lift you up and drag you down. Really say no to your toxic relationships. Hold your healthy boundaries on that stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's just working through toxicity in so many different forms, right? Like, um, for us, like changing our—we had a water filter, um, right? For our water, yeah, we uh, got—we started eating as much organic as we could find in the in the Midwest (laughs) that we could find. Um, but the screen addiction one is definitely one that I struggle with. Like I'm a full-time social media manager. Um, yeah. and then I do a podcast, I have a blog, I have a YouTube channel, just like always on a screen. Um, yeah. and that's definitely something that, that I'm like working through trying to understand where my boundaries would be. Cause I can definitely yeah. tell the difference on the nights that I'm on my phone until bedtime versus the nights that I put it away a couple hours yeah. before I go to bed. So, so yeah, that's always something interesting that I feel like people don't understand. We started turning off our wifi at night a couple of months ago. I thought my fiance was crazy when he wanted to
1: start doing that, but you know what?
0: I was like, whatever, I'll try it. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And if nothing else, it means in the morning, you have to wait five minutes for it to turn on again before you can hop on your phone. So straight away, you've got to get out of bed. (laughs) You can start a healthier habit from the moment you wake up. So you can't just reach for your phone and start looking while you're still in bed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, perfect. Is there anything else that you would like to chat about with the listeners here on the podcast? I feel like I asked you so many broad
1: questions. (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. Um, And and there is so much overlap in health. Nobody just has a tick-borne disease without having the gut stuff, the sleep stuff, the, the relationship stuff. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing that I forgot to mention when you asked me about or that I overlooked mentioning when you asked me about um, mold testing, Mm -hmm. there is something called a VCS, which Mm -hmm. is visual contrast sensitivity testing. So you get some handheld units that you might have in your doctor's office, but you can do them online as well. And that is a great way of tracking your progress Mm -hmm. and also identifying at the very beginning of the pathway, do you find a mold literate doctor because you've got your Schumacher cluster yes, that's a positive. You've done your online VCS. It's, it's nineteen ninety five US dollars. Um, you just do it in the comfort of your home. You need a PC and it's a, it's an eye test. Really? You cover one eye and look to see what shapes you can see. Okay. Um, and then you record them. So, it's, and then you cover the other eye and do the same thing. So it's a really easy way of managing inflammation in the optic, optic nerve and so stuff that does that is, is your mold, big one, but other biotoxins can as well. Cool. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, do the online VCS test. It's pretty cheap. It's pretty easy. And you can do them after saunas and as you start healing as well to see your recovery rate to track your progress. Mm.
0: Interesting. I've never heard of that. It's VCS. Is that what you said it was?
1: Yeah. Visual contrast sensitivity is the acronym. Perfect. Interesting. Awesome. Mm. So that's a nice, yeah, it's a good way of checking whether mold can be a problem for you.
0: Yeah. So if people wanted to get in contact with you or where could they do that on online?
1: Yeah. So I have an Instagram, just Mm -hmm. Brianna Gunn Naturopathy. I'm on Facebook, Brianna Gunn Naturopathy. My website is BriannaGunn.com. I work exclusively via Skype um, Mm -hmm. and I moved into that field because a lot of my clients are too sick to come into the office. Oh yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And then with mold um, and the chemical sensitivities that often come along with these illnesses, I, I, they were getting sick. I couldn't have them sit in an office where the person before was wearing perfume. Mm, um, yep. you know, the, the person upstairs might be, you know, using a cleaning product. And I thought I, I can't be responsible for this whole billing and you know, all the coaching that's yeah. here. Yeah. Um, I can't ask you to, to possibly get poisoned just know. to see yeah. me. Um, so I moved into Skype so they could sit in bed, lie down if they need to and manage their own environment in a better way. Um, so yeah, I work by Skype, people online, it's really simple. Just briannagun.com make a booking. It's as simple as I can make it as far as I can see. Yeah. Do you work with international clients too? Yeah, I do. Um, And the time zone doesn't seem to be much of an issue with U.S. clients. You guys are later at night. You see me. You Mm -hmm. see me about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock at night. Um, And with European clients, they get up earlier and they see me at 7 o'clock in the morning.
0: Okay. Got it. Got it. So it ends up working out. Well, I'll have all of your links and everything down below and in the blog post that I do with this so that – people can find it easily too if they're driving right now or they didn't get time to write that down quick. Thank you. But yeah, of course. Thank you so much for being on. I'm so excited for this episode. I think it'll be interesting. Um, Definitely have not gotten into mold yet on the podcast and I think people will be interested, but even just um, the tidbits about Lyme and about gut health too are just going to be so helpful, I think. So
1: thank you so much. Oh, I'm glad.
0: It's my pleasure.